Amen. And please be seated. And yeah, let's show our appreciation for this worship team. Uh, what a blessing. What a blessing. Uh, I feel especially blessed because I've had the, the privilege of knowing uh, these folks for some time. Adrian and Sarah and I served together on the same staff at the same church, and uh, I love it when, when Adrian kind of shifts it into high gear when he's worshiping. He brings so much passion, and uh, it, it, it helps me. It, 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 it instructs me. And one time about a month ago, Adrian there was, there was singing a song that just like, it just kind of kept rising and rising, and, and Adrian's just kind of going for it, you know, third, fourth, fifth gear and stuff like that. And then because we love him so much, we asked him to do the closing comments at the end of that song. Uh, Saturday night service, he was completely out of breath. He almost passed out when he tried to do the, the closing comments at the end of that song. You remember this? And so at the 9 o'clock service, we asked him to do it again. And uh, I could tell he's like getting ready. And so finally, we repented of that idea. And I said, Adrian, why don't you just kind of go for it? Just kind of blow the roof off. And I will come up and close the service with, you know, full lungs of breath and lots of, you know, oxygen in my blood. And, and so, you know, we're, we're figuring this out as we go. And uh, I just love and appreciate him. And I think I speak for both of us all of us that you've seen uh, here on the platform. You know, as a human being, you, you come to an event like this, you come to uh, this amazing place, Mount Hermon, with over 100 years of tradition. You think about the people that have been in this room who have occupied the stage, and it can be overwhelming. Uh, but you, you bring what, what the Lord... Uh, enables you to bring, and then every time you realize that what you receive is so much greater. I mean, it's just amazing. And you are a large part of that for me. Uh, just the conversations, um, the laughter, times around the table have been rich and nourishing to me. This has been a, have you had a good week so far here at Mount Herman? I have had a spectacular time. It has just been a joy, and so thank you for that. And, and also, uh, I don't know about you, but I have absolutely loved listening to Ricky in the evenings. That has just been uh, so, so wonderful. You know, I hear a lot of sermons. Uh, I hear, because the Lord knew I needed this, I hear the same sermon three times every weekend. In fact, sometimes I hear myself delivering the message three times every single weekend. I've just decided that in the Lord's mercy, he knew that my, my skull is so thick that it would just have to be drummed into me that many times. And so I feel like I, I you know, I know a good sermon. I know a good preacher when I, when I see one. And uh, boy, uh, God has given you a prodigious gift, my brother. And it just gives me so much joy to see you using it the way that you do. I just, I just praise God for that. So thank you. What, what a treat, what a blessing to be serving with you this week. Well, let me ask you, do you believe this morning? I know that it might be a little confusing, maybe even a little off-putting to a group of, you know, majority, a group of Christians here at, at Mount Hermon. We... Of course I believe. Well, let me, let, me, let me qualify that because here's what I'm talking about. And I include myself in this question. C.S. Lewis put it this way. 
He said, you never know how much you really believe anything until its truth or falsehood becomes a matter of life and death. It's easy to say you believe in a rope, but you believe a rope is strong as long as you are merely using it to tie a box. But suppose you had to hang by that rope over a precipice. precipice. Wouldn't you then discover how much you really trusted it? That's a question that is going to recur in today's passage in John 11. Did you ever find yourself hanging by that rope? Every prop has been knocked out from underneath you. The only thing left to hang on to is what you believe. Several years ago, an usher in our church named Tracy, he went down to Bakersfield to help a friend with a project, some kind of home project. And Sunday morning of that weekend, and by the way, a noble way to spend a weekend, to drive all the way down to Bakersfield, help a friend out. But Sunday morning, Tracy's wife, Debbie, receives a call from this friend. Tracy had died suddenly, unexpectedly, in his sleep that night. A week later, I'm performing the memorial service for Tracy, and there's his wife, Debbie, his first son, Mikey, his youngest son, son Jeremy. Debbie's a, a strong Christian woman. She had no doubt that Tracy was in the presence of the Lord. That was a source, of course, of much, much comfort. But there was an underlying concern, you might even call a sense of dread, because Jeremy sitting there, uh, the lower half of one of his legs had been amputated a year or so earlier to stop cancer from spreading in his bones. And I knew that Debbie was worried about whether or not that, that cancer would return. Almost a year to the day of Tracy's memorial, I was performing Jeremy's memorial. What do you say to a woman who loses half her family in the course of a year? Fast forward a few more years, fall of 2017. I get an urgent call. Debbie is in the ICU at a local hospital. When I arrive there, I, I see that it is very, very serious. There's three members of the medical team working on her, all sorts of machines going off and stuff like that. Uh, the, one of the nurses comes to me, pulls me aside and says, if you haven't figured this out already, please contact the next of kin. Well, that's Mikey. And I get a hold of Mikey, and I start praying that Debbie would last at least long enough for Mikey to get there to see his mom. And when he arrives, he walks into that room. He looks at me with, with this. He didn't say this, but I could see this in his eyes. It's like, man, how come every time I see you, it's on one of the worst days of my life? And I also see behind those eyes, Mikey is preparing himself to lose his mom and be the last remaining member of his family. What do you say to someone in that type of situation? I knew this much. Whatever I was going to say, whatever came out of my mouth, I better believe it to my core. 
Because in situations like that, you know, people don't want to hear you know, something that's theoretical. They don't want to hear you speculate. They certainly don't want to hear you put in, you know, some kind of nice bow on it or express some sort of platitude or wishful thinking. They want to know the truth. They want to have hope that is real. They want to know that the Lord is with them. In fact, especially in the face of death and despair. And my prayer today is that Jesus will fill all of us with that very same hope that in the face of those things, in the face of death, in the face of disappointment, he brings life. He brings hope. You know, John uses the word believe 98 times in his gospel. 98 times. That's three times more than Matthew, Mark, and Luke combined. Pretty clear what his goal is, right? In fact, just in this passage we're going to see today, he uses the word believe seven times. And so if we, we don't get the hint at the end of chapter 20, he says, oh, by the way, I wrote all of this stuff so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life. That's the aim. That's the through point. However, the way this story begins in, in John 11, you would think that Jesus is trying to achieve the exact opposite. I mean, watch this. Picking up the story in verse 5, it says, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister, that's Mary, and Lazarus. So just stop there for a moment. These are his peeps, okay? <laughs> These are the people that he stays with when he's, you know, visiting Jerusalem. They're just right outside. They're on the edges of Jerusalem, about a mile and a half away. And they, they take him in, and, and, you know, they're tight. They're tight. So when <laughs> Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Well, of course he did. This is going to cause no small amount of confusion for Martha and Mary, right? No small amount. Now, on the other hand, to the disciples, this makes perfect sense. Because like I said, they live about a mile and a half away from Jerusalem, and Jerusalem is dangerous territory for Jesus, okay? He's, he, there's some people, they are not his fans. They're out to get him. And you, you see this in the next few verses because it says, and Jesus, he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. But Rabbi, they said, a short while ago, the Jews there tried to stone you, and yet you are going back? Chapters 5, 7, 8, 10, all mention how uh, his enemies tried to seize him and or kill him when he was in Jerusalem. So, wait, wait okay, wait. let me get this straight. So, we're going to go back there. That, that doesn't seem like the greatest timing, Jesus. Let's just wait till the dust settles a little longer. And Jesus answers 
with some cryptic words in verse 12. He's like, well, hey, don't you know there's you know, 12 hours in the day, and so people who walk in the day, they don't stumble, but people in the night, they do, and they're, they're like, huh? <laughs> huh? And they're not confused enough. He goes on, and he says, Lazarus has fallen asleep. So uh, I'm going to go there and wake him up. No, 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 time out, Jesus. Time out. Okay, you're going to risk your life. You're going to risk our lives so that you can wake Lazarus up from a nap? I mean, this, is, this makes no sense. Verse 14. So then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And for your sake... I'm glad I was not there, so that you may believe. I just imagine they're, they're, they're rubbing their temples. It's like, my, my head hurts. Okay, so, okay, I get it. Sleep, that's dead. That's the easy part. I get that. But, so it's good that he's dead so that we can believe. But, but I, don't we believe? P- Peter, don't we believe? I thought we believed. We left everything. We left it all behind. Why, why is he saying this? You know, what does Jesus want them to believe? Let me ask you. It just, let's make this, you know, kind of audience participation. What do you think Jesus wants the disciples to believe by going and seeing poor dead Lazarus? Any, any thoughts? Any, any? Yes, sir. Good, yeah, yeah, yeah. That he's really good? Oh, yeah, that Lazarus is really, that's good. That's a really good insight. Uh, Yes, yes. That he's God? Okay, anything else? Yeah. Oh, hold on to that one. Somebody read the notes. All right, that's okay. Thank you, Carol. Well, let's close in prayer. I think we got the point of this. Let me ask you a little bit more of a personal question. What does Jesus want you to believe this morning? What does Jesus want you, what does Jesus want me to believe? What circumstance, what loss, what problem, what crisis, what grief, What does Jesus want you to believe in that situation? The one that we ask ourselves, where are you, Jesus? Why now? And see, here's the thing. Uh, Look, faith starts with this little mustard seed, just the, the tiniest little spark of faith. But I think one of the issues for the church is that we, we tend to equate faith with just kind of like information. Like I, I, I have mental agreement, mental assent to a set of propositions and stuff like that. 
And, and I just hold that in my head. It's kind of like when you have to like update your computer or your phone or you get new software, new app. There's that little, there's all this information. It gets kind of tedious, right? But at the bottom, there's that little button that just says, I agree, and I can be done. I don't have to really go any deeper. I can just hit the button, and we're good, right? You know, there are atheists who say that's exactly what Christians do. You just click, I agree. You never really think deeply. Now, now, that's not anyone here, but I'm just saying that sometimes <laughs> that happens. But biblical belief always involves trust. Always involves trust. In fact, this is where our language lets us down a little bit because faith in English is, is a noun, right? It's, it's this thing, it's faith. But in the original, it's not just a noun, it's also a verb. And so sometimes it's talking about faithing. You know, we believe in. My faith is active. It's, it's, it's a noun. It's, it's not just, I mean, it's a verb, not just a noun. And it involves trust. When I was younger, half a lifetime ago, I, I used to like to rock climb. And if you spend any amount of rock climbing, you get to a point where you can lead climb. Lead climb involves where your, your belayer below you, uh, he's, he's kind of got you. And as you go up, you, you clip into a series of anchors. Some of them are fixed in the rock. Some of them you might have to place. But as you clip into an anchor, as you go above that to the next anchor, you are what they call running out your rope. So the next, let's just say the next anchor is eight feet above the one I just clipped into. So if I get to that next anchor, but before I clip in, I fall, I'm going to fall eight feet to where that last anchor was, but I got eight feet of run out, so I'm going to go another eight feet. So every time you fall, the, the amount of your run out is, is you're going you're gonna to double that. That makes sense to you? So if I fall eight feet, I'm going to actually fall uh, above my last anchor. I'm going to fall how far? 16. And then the rope's going to stretch, and it's going to be more like 20. And I'm hoping that my belayer is awake, because if he's not awake, then I'm just going to keep falling. And the eagles are not going to swoop down, swoop down and get me. Okay. It's just where it goes. So you, uh, my point is, is that you, you have this opportunity to experience what it feels like to be hanging at the end of that rope. Your life hanging at the end of a rope. In fact, if you have to rappel down, then the ground is a couple hundred feet below you. You get to experience what it feels like to trust a rope that's about the diameter of your pinky. Okay? That's what C.S. Lewis was talking about when he said, this, that's what you really believe. You don't just agree with it. You trust it. And that is the kind of belief that Jesus is cultivating in our hearts, and he does some of his best work. In fact, I would argue that he almost always does his best work in that regard when we're in the midst of a crisis, when uh, you know, it's not just theoretical. In fact, there is a, there is a crisis, I mean, excuse me, there is a, a, a theme that runs through this passage. It's, uh, I'm gonna call it the big idea, and it's this. One of the hardest things to trust is God's timing. One of the hardest things to trust is God's timing. I mean, I mean, in our own lives, you know, if your grandfather gets cancer at 90, it's sad, but it's not a crisis of faith. 
But if your four-year-old child gets cancer, that might prompt a crisis of faith. You see, it, same problem, but the timing can make all of the difference. The event, the injury, that's one thing. When it happens, that's another. I'll never forget. Now, it was a little over 20 years ago. Yeah, close to 25 years ago. We're going down memory lane this morning, guys, so just here we go. 25 years ago, when I was directing a Christian camp, two of the staff members uh, uh, who had met there at the camp, they had a five-year courtship. Uh, They became engaged, and they were to be married. And these things happen at Christian camps. You know, there's just something in the air with the staff. In fact, in this week, there are two couples with their kids. They were also on staff at that very same camp. Okay, that's just this week, you know. And there's another reason, even here at Mount Hermon, you know what that's called in the summertime? Mount Hormone. So it's just, <laughs> it's true. It's true. So I digress. It's, it's the big day for this couple. And I drive down, and it's located at this church right across the street from Mount Hermon, the EV Free Church, right there. So you don't even you can go drive by and you can. Imagine this and see this. I drive in. I'm 10 minutes early for this, the ceremony. I'm proud of myself. I'm like, yeah, good job. 10 minutes. You know, now my wife would be horrified, but I, I was single at the time. I'm like, man, I'm good. One problem. I, I'm driving into the, this little parking lot, and there's cars pulling out, leaving. Like, what, what's going on? And I thought, uh, daylight savings time? No, it can't be that. I... My clock's not right. I don't know. I, I, I see one of the groomsmen. He's directing traffic, and I know him. He's another staff member, good friend of mine. I say, what's going on? And he's, he says, well, the, the wedding's been canceled. I'm like, what? That's crazy. i got to go in there and find out what happened. No, I'm, I, I said, I should go in there and see if I can minister to anybody. <laughs> I got invited to go and see the bride. Known her for some time. Knew her family. And uh, I'll never forget this scene. <laughs> She's sitting in the choir room of this church. She's sitting down in this couch. You know, and her wedding dress, she's got tears going streaming down her face. But her wedding dress, it, it's, it's just kind of a poof like this. Like she's sitting on a giant marshmallow or something like that. <laughs> And I said, oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? I mean, it's like, I'd never heard of this except for like in that movie, The Graduate or something. I mean, it's just... And she proceeds to tell me that about 45 minutes before the wedding, uh, she was taking some of the final pictures and her father comes in and he says, honey, I need to talk to you about something because the best man just came to me and he shared some things with me Uh, about the groom that I just need to know that you're aware of because these are kind of significant things. These are some serious things in his life. I just need to know that you're aware. He shares these things, and he could tell by the look on her face, she didn't know. And so she goes, and she confronts the groom, and he's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's true, but I'm going to change, and, and, you know, we can work this out, and it's going to be okay, you know, and... 
It's T minus 20 minutes to the beginning of the ceremony. There are people from as far away as Europe. There's a big reception offsite and all sorts of food and hundreds of people. What do you do in a moment like that? Well, this, this young woman, she showed incredible courage. Well, she, she decided, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but I'm not going to get married under this cloud. I'm not going to get married under this cloud. What do you do when the bottom falls out under your life? I'll never forget people leaving, a groom's family leaves in somewhat of a huff, as you might understand. Guests politely go to the reception to eat the food so it doesn't spoil. (laughs) And this would-be bride retreats to her parents' house to the room that she grew up in and begins to try to make sense of what has just happened. You know, talk about timing, right? I mean, could you have not had this revelation about the groom a a day, a week, a month, a couple years earlier? That would have been so much better than 45 minutes and canceling a wedding 20 minutes before it's going to go off. For Mary and and for Martha, it was four days, right? Four days would have made a huge difference. And now here's Jesus. He shows up, and the first thing out of Martha's mouth, verse 21, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says the same thing in verse 32. If you'd been here, he would not have died. There's no greeting. There's no good to see you. It's where were you? I mean, honestly, do you ever feel like God's timing is sometimes just a little bit suspect? You know what I'm saying? I mean, there's never a good time for, for pain and, and loss to come into our lives. But have you, have you noticed that sometimes... Bad things sometimes, they have a way of hitting at just the worst times. That's Martha. That's, that's Mary. How do you deal with that? I have no idea. We're going to close in prayer. So, no. <laughs> Actually, I want to give you three things that, that you, can, you can hang on to today. Three things, when when you find God's timing has you completely baffled, and that's a mystery you will not be able to unravel in that moment, and maybe not for years, and maybe not till heaven, but these three things, these three things are pretty clear. These three things you can take to the bank. Uh, First thing, when I struggle with God's timing, I can trust him personally. I can trust him personally. You know, again, God's timing, God's sovereignty at times is very mysterious, but who Jesus c- claims to be, that's crystal clear, isn't it? Picking up at verses 23 and 24, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day, and 
I don't know, maybe it's just me, but it sounds a little bit like a Sunday school answer to me. Like, well, yeah, I know, I remember that, being taught that as a kid, but that's, that's eventually true, and, and, but that's, who knows when, you know? Like, yeah, you'll rise, we'll rise in the sweet by and by. Um, that's what the Bible says. But Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And then he looks Martha in the eye, and he says, do you believe this? Do you believe this, Martha? Hey, I know, you know, we're, we're, we're close, we're tight. Do you believe this? Because, you know, listen, as important, as essential uh, as our, our, our doctrine, our creeds are, and I don't mean to minimize any of that, as important as that is, our ultimate confession is not in, in a creed or a tradition. Our ultimate confession is in a person. It is in the person of Jesus Christ. It all hangs on him, on who he is. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. Do you believe this? Do you believe me, he's saying? Not just as tradition, not just because you were raised that way, not because even maybe psychologically you feel you need to believe it, but you are convinced to your core that Jesus has defeated the grave, that he is the living God who offers us love and forgiveness and life here and forevermore. Now, I ask you again, do you believe this? Do you believe this? And I want you to see how Martha makes the shift here because you know this. Everyone likes to poke fun at Martha. She's the busybody. She's the one who didn't get it. She was going around the house vacuuming and doing all this stuff and Mary's at the feet of Jesus and Martha just kind of missed it. Yeah, but no one ever points out what Martha does here because Martha, verse 27 says, yes, Lord, she told him. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who was to come into the world. You know, this puts Martha in very rare company, doesn't it? At this stage of the game, Peter has said, you are the Christ. Bartimaeus has said, son of David, have mercy on me, a messianic title. And here's Martha saying the same thing. You can count on one hand the amount of people who have voiced this, who have confessed this at this point in the story. And so we ought to give Martha a little more credit than we typically do. And she's saying, you know what? Lord, I may not understand your ways. I may not understand your timing, but I know you are the Christ. You are the God who has become human flesh. And that's gonna be enough. You can trust him. I can trust him personally when I do not understand his timing. And secondly, when I find myself in that struggle, I can trust his heart. I can trust his heart. Ever see that movie, Jesus of Nazareth? Remember this movie? 
Uh, Before the Passion of the Christ, this was like the movie, man. This was the movie about Jesus, but it's far and away better than all the other ones. And and they cast this British actor for this role. His name is Robert Powell. And and he had like these liquid blue eyes, right? I mean, look at that. They're like wild. I doubt Jesus actually had blue eyes, but that's beside the point. Robert Powell did. And um, he's kind of like this... I don't know, Shakespearean uh, actor. He always, you know, looks kind of emaciated and, and, and stuff like that. It's, and, you know, in this scene, he looks at Martha and he's like, your brother will rise again. <laughs> and like, come on, somebody give that guy a sandwich, man. He's about to pass out, you know? No passion, (laughs) no energy. Now contrast that with this image of Jesus in verse 33. He sees Mary, and it says, when he saw her weeping and the Jews who'd come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and spirit and troubled. Deeply moved in the original is one word, and it's a word, it's a defiant word, it's an angry word, it's a word that it was used at times to describe a horse when it snorts in anger, whether it's a stallion facing off another one or getting ready to to charge into battle. It is snotty, it is visceral, and that's Jesus right here. That's us when we sob deeply and it's messy and it's wet, and it says he's troubled, and again, that that has to do with being greatly distressed, physically agitated. This is not Jesus meek and mild. This is Jesus gearing up to do battle with death itself. And he says, where have you laid him? Come and see, Lord, they replied, and Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. He loved him. And then if you read further, we don't have time to go into this, but they say, you know, couldn't the one who gave sight to the blind have prevented this? Again, not great timing. Not great timing. But there's Jesus weeping, weeping in this moment. You know, sometimes people think that faith means you're not allowed to feel. Like if you're really, really sad over a loss, you just might not believe enough. You know what that is? That's legalism. That is a subtle form of legalism, whereby not feeling I'm somehow earning favor with God. And it can exist in cultures of churches. I, I went to, um, I mentioned my friend Phil earlier. Phil's mom died about a year to the day before Phil did. And at her funeral, um, I don't know, there was something about the tone, and, and maybe the person speaking didn't know her for a long time or something like that, but it was, was kind of, this might not be fair, but it felt kind of glib to me. It felt a little bit like, you know, she's in heaven, let's tie a bow around this. Don't feel sad. And so then they allowed the people in the audience to speak, which is never a good idea, but they did it anyway. (laughs) Am I right? (laughs) 
Yeah. Thank you, Ricky. <laughs> and, uh, and so I get up. And uh, I get up because his mom was like my second mom. I had a great mom. I didn't need a second mom. But God gave me a second mom. Had to do with the fact that Phil and I, um, all we really wanted to do in high school was serve. And he lived closer to the beach than I did. So, like, every weekend throughout high school, I spent the night at Phil's house. I mean, I don't know, 100, 200 times? I, don't, I have never counted all the weekends there are in four years of high school, but I was there, like, every single time. And if you're a parent, and, you, you know, your kids have their friends stay over for a night, you're like, yay, they have friends, and they want to come here, and it's cool. And then 10, 30, 11 o'clock, you're like, can, the next day, like, can they go home now? You know, I want my house back. I want my privacy back. And yet his mom, we'd come back from surfing every Saturday morning, and she'd service bacon and eggs and little sausages, and she was just so sweet to me. She just was so hospitable. I don't know how she did it. I wouldn't have done it, but she did. (laughs) And so when I was speaking, I said, yes, Scripture says, 1 Corinthians 4, we do not grieve as those who have no hope, but we still grieve. We still grieve. Don't let anyone tell you you cannot grieve. Look at Jesus here weeping. In fact, Jesus expressed the full range of human emotions from shock, grief, anger, crisis in the garden, God forsakenness on the cross. So again, when you find yourself in that dark night of the soul, he's with you. He enters into our grief. His spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. Nothing stoic about that. And so again, when you find yourself in that moment, you don't understand his timing. Trust in who he is. Trust him personally and trust his heart. You know his heart. And you know it's good. But there's one more thing. When I am struggling with God's timing, I can also, and maybe this is the kicker right here, I trust his power, his power. Verses 43 and 44. Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. And you see, Jesus doesn't just claim to be the resurrection and the life. He proves it. He backs it up. And not much later, he would be laid in his own tomb, but he did not stay there. He did not stay. Do you believe this, Mount Hermon? Do you believe this? Because this is where the rubber meets the road right here. This is it right here. Because if Jesus, I love it, the scripture says this, 1 Corinthians 15, the basic the, argue, the argument that Paul makes is if Jesus is still in the ground, this is a farce. Pack it up. Eat, drink, and be merry, because there is no hope. If Jesus is still in the ground, if Jesus is still in the ground, there's nothing he can do for us. What good is a, good, is a dead Savior? But if he rose from the dead, 
then he's everything. He is everything. He is our hope. He is our future. He is our life. This is the ultimate game changer. I'm at a memorial service a couple years ago. I was called to to perform this memorial service. Uh, It was one of those somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew me, and they needed a pastor. And so this was out of the area um, I was driving over Highway 17 to go to the graveside and then perform the memorial service, and I'm feeling anxiety. I'm feeling anxious because I had just met the family two days earlier. It didn't really go well. They were edgy. Um, they were hurting. They were kind of getting on each other. Some of that spilled onto me, and I'm like, oh, what am I doing? Is this going to be of any comfort to them? Is this... Is this is this going to be like something that helps? And so I, I decided to turn on the radio, and it's Christian Station, because I was driving my mom's car. No, I'm kidding. And um, <laughs> I hear this song that used to be popular a couple years back. This is, everyone needs compassion. Love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a savior, the hope of nations. You know how it goes. You can sing with me. Savior, he can move the mountains. My God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, he rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. And I'm feeling these chills just cover my body and my spirit starts to soar. And people in cars that are past me are looking in my window because at this point, I'm like, shine the light and let the whole world see. I'm singing for the glory of the risen King, Jesus. Yeah, so I get to that graveside. These folks are looking at me. And I say to them, first words out of my mouth. My name is Mark, and God sent me here to help you and to remind you that you can have hope even now because Jesus has conquered this grave. And that just set the tone for the rest of the day. That's the kind of confidence you have when you know that Jesus is the source of our hope, that he is the resurrection and the life. Amen? Amen. Amen. And you know what? It's not just for funerals. I mean, that is the ultimate hope but is not the only hope. You follow me? Because I've seen Jesus resurrect marriages. I've seen Jesus resurrect addicts from their addictions. I've seen Jesus come into a person's heart on their deathbed. I know a guy who who quit seminary and his faith only to return to it 30 years later with 
passion and conviction today that would just encourage you, would blow your socks off. We have a resurrection God. We have a God who can take things that are dead. In fact, that's what he specializes in. And he gives them life. Now, I'm not saying that God always gives us what we want. And when we want it, we all know better than that. But you know what? Sometimes he surprises us. Sometimes he does. I mentioned Debbie at the beginning, dying in the ICU. I had a great conversation with Debbie this past Saturday night. Alive and well. Alive and well. And you know that, that would-be bride that I mentioned, the one whose wedding hopes just fell apart 20 minutes before the ceremony. Well, the rest of that story is time went by and she never married that guy. Instead, she married this guy. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're like, I recognize Laura, but who's that other guy there? Uh, yeah. I, trust me, that's me. Daddy just put on a little bit more awesomeness, right? <laughs> but I want, you, I want you to think about this because that moment right there, 20 minutes from never happening. You want to talk about God's timing? Wow. How about the family? Those three kids and one in heaven, 20 minutes from never existing. Wow. And I just want to step back and say, Lord, sometimes I might wonder about your timing, but boy, I never have to wonder about you. There's a street poet named Lemon Brooklyn. He put it this way. God may not always come exactly when you call him, but he is always on time. Do you believe that? God may not always answer when you call him, at least according to your timetable, your perspective, but he is always on time. So let's just bring this home right now. Do you believe this? Do you believe this in that situation that has you completely confounded. In fact, let's just ask ourselves this final question. Where am I struggling to believe Jesus? There's a problem, there's a grief, there's an event, there's, there's, there's something that makes no sense to you, and I'm just gonna go out on a limb and say it has something to do with the timing of it all. Just have it at the worst possible time. Well, I think we've seen today that, again, Jesus may not, you know, roll it out the way that you might want. It may not be the 20-minute miracle that, that I've witnessed to today. But he is good. He is there. And that he will work in our lives according to his perfect wisdom and will. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your goodness and your grace in our lives. 
And Lord, uh, in this last minute, and I've gone a little long, but in this last minute, I just, I just want to pray for the person right now who is struggling with this very thing. I pray that you would give them grace. I pray that you would give them encouragement. I pray that you would give them confidence. I pray that you'd give them hope. And Lord, I, I want to pray for the, the person here. I, I don't want to make the assumption, it would be wrong to assume that every single one of us came here to Mount Hermon uh, as a, a follower of you, as someone who has already received the gift of your grace and salvation and life into their heart and life. In other, in other words, there may be someone here that needs to make it personal and go from maybe believing things about Jesus to believing in Jesus, being willing to put their life, their future, their hope, their everything into his hands. And if that's you, I'm just going to invite you, again, not because it puts you a little bit closer to heaven, I'm just going to invite you to raise your hand. Just raise your hand. And Lord, I just want to pray for those folks. Any among us who just said, yes, Jesus, count me in. I admit I need you. I, admit, I have no problem recognizing my sin and my failures, and I believe that, Jesus, you died for those things, that you, you, you went and you were nailed to a cross for me, for my sins, so that I would be cleansed, forgiven, that the judgment that I deserved was taken upon you, and now I trust myself to you. Help me to follow you in the fullness of the life that you have for me. Pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our glorious Lord and Savior and all God's people said, amen. amen.